The king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, he is my song, because you are a good. 
never gonna let me down You're never gonna let, never gonna let me down You're never gonna let, never gonna let me down You're never gonna let, never gonna let me down
Good morning. Welcome to the Vineyard Community Church. Um, we're so glad that you could be here with us today, um, here at the Vineyard and all of you at home. Um, we are live streaming our services on Facebook, and you can also find us on YouTube. Um, please keep everyone who's at home with the cooties in prayer. Um, and also, if we could just take a moment to keep the people in Turkey and Syria in prayer, 30,000 plus now. So, yeah, so just keep them, I mean, in prayer and just pray for the, um, also for the people who are, are working with the recovery effort because that just gets, it's now kind of a recovery um, instead of rescue. Yeah, just let me just pray. Lord, just ask that you... Um, Pray with all the people that are at home, Lord, with COVID. I ask you just to wrap your arms of protection around this community, Lord, um, and heal us all. I ask you also, Lord, to please be with all of our brothers and sisters, Lord, in, in Turkey and Syria, Lord, with the with the, the rescuers, the first responders, Lord, um, as they go about now turning this into um, a recovery effort. I ask that you... Um, just really pierce the heart of, of the UN and everybody else, Lord, that can help, um, just the international community, to please send help um, to help Turkey and Syria um, as they try and find people. The temperatures are freezing. Um, we just need you, Lord, in that space. Really, really need you now. Amen. Um, we are continuing our sermon series. Found in Genesis, the patriarchs uh, encountering the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Pastor Brent Paulson's message today is Joseph from despised brother to exalted in Egypt. Found in Genesis chapters 37 and 41. Grab your Bible or your cell or your tablet to look up today's text. You'll also find it printed in part in your bulletin. Food box assembly is canceled for um, tomorrow. Monday, February 13th, but on Tuesday, beginning at 11 a.m., we need volunteers to set up our pantry. At 3 p.m., many volunteers are needed to help with our food distribution, and at 6, we need volunteers to help with cleanup. Next Sunday, February 19th, is our 2023 annual vision meeting, immediately following our Sunday service. Due to the increase in COVID in our area, we are canceling the potluck and we'll have a shortened meeting here in the sanctuary. Saturday, February 21st is our first class for the meaning of marriage, um, a vision for married and single people. It will meet six Saturdays in a row from 12.30 to 3 p.m. Sign up is now available in the lobby. The cost of materials is $22 per couple or single. You can also purchase it yourself for Kindle or audio online. Um, Our youth are away at a retreat this weekend. Um, Let's take a moment now to pray for our youth and their leaders. Um, Just Father God, we ask that you um, just refresh everyone on this Retreat. We ask that you um, bless their time together. Help it be um, just really special, Lord, and help them to not only feel your presence, but to um, enjoy each other and to um, just lift up, lift up the youth, Lord. 
Amen. Um, don't forget our offering today. We'll have a small, we have a small table set up at the back of the sanctuary for our offering, or you can donate on our church website or on Facebook. And um, speaking of the youth, and as we introduce into our Black History Month, I just wanted to, um, I asked them, someone came to me and said, you know, we're getting old, kind of, and it's, it's good to hear from the youth. So I asked Janice to ask her um, class last week, a couple weeks ago, what does Black History Month mean to you? Um, I'm not going to read the names of the young people because I think that would embarrass them. But um, the history of black culture, arts, music, black everything, giving us the knowledge of the unseen people. Someone asked, why do we only talk about MLK? Martin Luther King talks about people working together versus dividing, and it's a nonviolent manner. It shows that we can walk alongside one another and support one another, more important now than ever. Uh, another said, less, about, less info about history and more about looking at how blacks have overcome oppression and are able to accomplish so much even under such hard racism. Looking at how strong the black community is and how hard they keep fighting to just be given or seen as equal to others. Another one shared that a teacher had asked, why don't we have White History Month? Um, his social studies teacher asked this as they were approaching February and what they would be discussing. Um, another one said the accomplishment of blacks. And I, I think this is just really timely right now. Um, thanks, Kaylee. <laughs> I don't do microphones, but um, I just think this is really timely right now, especially as I'm introducing Katanji Jackson-Brown. Um, I hope all of you know who she is. She is the first African-American woman to serve on the Supreme Court. That only took 200 and something odd years. Um, and she has a special heart for the youth. She shares that um, as she was growing up, she was often discounted. Um, as a matter of fact, a teacher told her once, don't bother applying to Harvard. You won't, you won't get in. Um, she graduated from Harvard undergrad, and there's somebody else who graduated from Howard here, but I won't Harvard, but I won't mention her name because it'll embarrass her. Jackie Brown. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's any coincidence they share this a similar last name, but um, she said that one night she was walking um, around Harvard Yard, a passing stranger leaned over and offered her words of wisdom. I was really questioning, do I belong here? Can I make it in this environment? And Jackson said, um, a black woman leaned over and said, persevere. And so I think it's very specially pointed right now as Jackie, um, <laughs> as Jackie, as Katanji um, Jackson Brown says to the youth, um, to persevere. So um, here's a little snippet, snippet about Jackie. It's my fault because I'm looking straight at Jackie and I see her and Katanji. Anyway, as we're looking at Supreme Court, Associate Supreme Court Justice Katanji Jackson. Brown Jackson. This is quite simply 
a historic moment. Since the years since the Supreme Court was first assembled, and 115 justices later, we are now celebrating the confirmation of the first ever black woman and the first woman defender to break the bench. The gravity of this moment can be understood. This is the same court that once denied citizenship to women like her. And now, to see her rise to the highest court in the land, shows how far we come. And yet, there's still so very far to go at this very moment when the rights of women are being litigated in our courts. Little girls around the country tell me because I don't want to Thank you. And I just wanted to just finish up to say that this is why black history matters. This is why we still have to keep plugging in. And as, as, as black history and education is, is under attack in this country, representation matters. Just remember that, that we all need to know all history, all of our history. It's not just black history. It's not just white history. It's not Native American history, Asian. We need to know everything about ourselves as a country, as a community. So, thank you. I am so excited that we have a member of the uh, Supreme Court in our midst. That's just amazing. So, Jackie, can you be bought? Can we, like, can I get something special? I don't know what I would ask for. Maybe special motorcycle lanes for, that would be good. <laughs> Things like that. Um, anyway, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. There's, you know what's kind of fun for me is um, being from Minnesota, being a hockey player, is just the rise of um, some of the, the black community in professional hockey, yay, professional hockey, which sounds kind of funny, but it's one of those things that just hasn't been available in a lot of uh, the areas that the black community lives in, and so it's starting to become more available, and um, we're seeing more and more African-American people in that, so 
Well, today, um, welcome, welcome to all of you. I know some, um, all of you are on AV video land. I know that we've had um, kind of a in this area outbreak of COVID again, which is discouraging, disheartening. Um, and today we're celebrating a couple things. We're celebrating Black History Month. We also have that famous thing that happens every year, the Super Bowl. Uh, and today I wanted to talk about, um, there's, there's actually something going on with that too that's kind of unique. There's, there's double two brother things. There's two brothers that are playing in the Super Bowl, the Kelsey brothers, and there's two black quarterbacks for the first time ever in the history of the Super Bowl. But I want to talk about something that happened back in 2017. Now not, this is not to like just kind of suck the life out of Clevelanders, but I'm just going to go through a list here, and, and you'll probably figure out what I'm talking about in a few minutes. 2017, Browns picked Miles Garrett, number one. The Bears picked Mitch Trubisky, number two. 49ers picked Solomon Thomas, number three. Jaguars picked Leonard Fournette, number four. Those of you, those of you who don't do football are just going, what is he doing here? Titans picked Corey Davis, number five. Jets picked Jamal Adams, number six. Some of these people you've never really heard of, right? Chargers picked Mike Williams, number seven. Panthers picked Christian McCaffrey, which some of you may have heard of. Nine, Bengals picked John Ross. Ten, the Chiefs pick Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes. Isn't it interesting... How somebody can be in the midst of all these people that the, the you know the NFL tries to draft, and for those of you who are not football fans, Patrick Mahomes is probably considered to be one of the best, or may become one of the best, or maybe become the best quarterback in professional football. He just does crazy, insane stuff. He's kind of like this the Stephon Curry of of football, he he can do all kinds of things. With in fact, last week he he won the AFC Championship game on one foot. He was hopping on one foot. He was making running plays on one foot. I mean, that's really crazy. That's really crazy. That's even like crazy like stuff that I wouldn't even do. Um, but nobody really saw that coming except for somebody. On the Chiefs, they were looking for somebody to replace Alex Smith, who was getting older and more beaten up. And they just needed somebody, and so they took a chance. They said, eh, I, don't, I don't know who this is going to be, Patrick Mahomes. We'll just try this guy. And, and the point I want to make is that sometimes we don't see things that are actually in front of us that are happening that can can make a pretty significant difference. Now, this in this case, it's just... Football. Now, now some of you go, just football? Uh, just football? What kind of heresy is this? Um, but it is just football. But sometimes in life, life works that same way, doesn't it? Are there times in life when, when we're just not sure what's going on? I mean, we're just not sure what, what, what is God doing? What is God doing? We like it when we, 
we see the spectacular. You know, when we see Jesus calming a sea, that's cool. We see that. Jesus raising Lazarus, we see that. We like it in our, in our superhero shows, you know, when, when Captain Marvel comes and, and smashes, if you're, I'm using a lot of different references from different kinds of, but Captain Marvel's a Marvel character, you know, she's a, a superhero person, like, I like her, I think she's cool. Not just because she's really cute, but she is really cute. Um, but anyway, she smashes through Thanos's. Oh, I'm giving away all this stuff, but it's been out for a couple of years. Anyway, she does all this stuff. So Captain Marvel does all this stuff. We like that because we see it and we go, oh my gosh, that's so powerful. But then we come to places like we're coming to in our passage today where we don't see God's hand that much. We, we don't see God's hand. And I think all of us in our lives, we... We go through times where we don't see where God is. We don't see what God is doing. Sometimes it can be years. I've had times, Teresa and I have had times in our lives, we're going through a time right now with certain family members and stuff, that we don't see God's hand at all. We don't see it. Do you ever have times like that in your life? Things in your life that you just go, God, I don't see, I'm not seeing it. Not feeling it. Where's the parting of the Red Sea? Where's the, where's the raising up of Lazarus? Where's the miracles that people are sharing? Where's all these things, Lord? Where are all the things that you once did? I don't see it. And my question to you is, does that mean that God is not working? Or that he's on vacation? Or they just got tired of us. Or as one book said many, several years ago, they're just not powerful enough. Why? I want to talk today about God's unseen providence. Now providence means um, God's powers to sustain and guide our history. Providence means to sustain and guide our history. God's unseen providence. Do you realize that there are huge huge sections of the Bible where there's the unseen providence of God? The whole book of Esther, have you ever read the book of Esther? It's one of the Old Testament books. It never once, maybe once it does, mentions God. But God is on every page of it. The chapters we're going to be looking at today, especially one of the chapters, chapters 37 of Genesis, it never talks about God. But God has written in every sentence and every part of Genesis 37. And so my message is God's unseen providence from Genesis 37 through 41. And I want to just acknowledge that some of the ideas came from um, Tim Keller and his message, The Hiddenness of God. It was a beautiful, wonderful sermon. So today we're going to look at that. We're just going to look at, we're, we're studying these, these people called the patriarchs. And they're the people that, you know, if you picture the Bible going in two stages. The first stage of the Bible is Genesis 1 through chapter 11. Now chapter 1 starts out really good, right? Chapter 2 is pretty good. Chapter 3. Everything starts falling apart. God gives choice to humanity and humanity says, we don't trust you. We want to do it our way. And we did it our way. And from chapter 3 on, there's a cycle 
of destruction where Cain kills Abel. And then there's the flood. And then it culminates with this, this thing where we think, well, we can, we, can, we can be like God. We can, well, let's do this ourselves. We'll build this big tower. Let's do it ourselves. And what happens to the big tower? It falls over. What happens whenever we try and do it ourselves? It falls over. It crashes. And so we're left at the end of chapter 11, in some ways, with not much hope. But there is hope. There is hope. God shows, instead of working with all of humanity, God comes in the middle of chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12, and he chooses this one person out of all the people in the world, and his name is Abram. It wasn't Abraham yet then. And his name is Abram. And Abram, he chooses, and he said, Abram, leave your family, leave your friends, leave your country, leave everything, like Teresa and I kind of did when we came here. Some of you maybe have done that when you moved here from other places. I was talking to our Indian community last night, and many of them have come from from India to, to live here. There's about 50. We started out with about 10 people in this Bible study on Friday nights. Now there's about 50 or 60 people. It's really cool. But I just say, you know, a lot of you have come from your home and you've left everything. You've come here and you kind of ask, well, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? Do you know that when you're here, if you're here this morning, you're here for a reason. God brings you here for a purpose. Does that make sense? And so... There's this amazing thing that goes on that God says, I'm going to choose you, Abraham. You're going to be a blessing. I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be a blessing, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And Abraham's really old, and his wife is really old, and he's like, I have no idea how you're going to do this. Do you ever realize that's how God usually works? Some of you come in here this morning, you go, you know what? And, and I hear this all the time, like, you don't, you don't realize how messed up my life is. My life is, my, I'm, I'm really messed up. I'm not really the kind of person God would use. Really. Read the Bible. That's what we're going to look at today. The kind of person and how God accomplishes his purposes. So we come through this whole series, and Abraham and, and Sarai have a, a son. His name is Isaac. Isaac has lots of sons, but he has two in particular, Jacob, Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau. Or it's like I do that with Cain and Zaley all the time. I call them Zane and, or no. Did I just already call them that? Okay, yeah, I just call them that. Right. I do that. Um, but anyway, so, so they, we come to this place where, where these, you know, this, this, um, these two people, Jacob and Esau, they get in this battle and Jacob spends all this time trying to get God's blessing. He's working, working. Work. God already told him he was going to get it. He spends most of his life trying to manipulate, trying to make sure things happen the right way, trying to make sure God's will happens. Because if we don't help him, you know, do you know that? If you don't help God, his will will never happen in your life. Do you realize that? He really needs your help. Right? No. No. He does fine. God allows us to be part of his kingdom. I'm speaking to those of us who can get really neurotic about trying to make sure everything's perfect so that God's perfect will can happen. So Jacob lives a lot of his life like this. 
And yet he is the one that God chooses to pass this blessing. Now this blessing isn't just like a general blessing on humanity. It's actually how God is going to restore everything that's happened from the fall on. It's, it's how God's going to save humanity. It's how God's going to restore this, this whole broken world that we live in, this world where we're living with, with 30,000 people dead in Turkey from an earthquake. We're living on the precipice of wars with China and Russia and who knows what, North Korea. It's, we're, we're living in all these crazinesses. We're talking about a God who's at work in the midst of all of this. And God's purpose is to bring about a transformation. His purpose is to, to bring you to a particular place and time. And he is able to do that. He's able. I want to tell you this morning, the one word I think God has for you is that God is able to get you where you're supposed to be and to have you do what you're supposed to do because he is just that big. He told me a long time ago, this was many years ago when I was being really neurotic about making sure I did this whole church thing right and did the whole, all that stuff right. He, he, he came to me one day because the church had kind of imploded. This is back in the 90s. And God came to me one day and he said, Brent, you know Pharaoh? And I go, yeah, I know Pharaoh. You know, he, God talks to me in funny ways. He asks me questions I already know the answer to. Which is, I don't know why he does that. I think he's just messing with me. You know Pharaoh? Yeah, I know Pharaoh. He's like, you know, Pharaoh was the most powerful man that existed pretty much at that time in history. You know what? He ended up doing my will. He became my servant. He accomplished what I wanted him to, which was to set the, set the Israelites free, to give them all this stuff. And then in the process, he even glorified me because he tried to not do what I wanted. And in that process, he ended up doing what I wanted. And, I said, and, and he was really powerful. He said, you're not Pharaoh. You're not, even, you're not powerful at all, even by this world standards. You kind of want to do my will. What makes you think you're big enough to thwart what I'm going to accomplish through your life? That was a sobering word. What makes you think you're big enough to somehow thwart what God's going to accomplish through your life? Jacob lived in the land. So we're picking this up in Genesis 37. So this blessing, this, this thing is being passed on from generation to generation. He lived in the land where his father had stayed, in the land of Cana. And this is going to be a lot of narrative because that's what this is. It's a narrative. It's a narrative story about the sovereign hand of God, the hiddenness of God, the unseen providence of God. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks. Now Joseph is one of Jacob's sons. He's a favorite. He's tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Therese, would you bring me my drink, please? I forgot it. My throat is froggy. Thank you. ghosting you, by the way. You're being ghosted. Um, He loved Joseph more than any of his other brothers because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made him an ornate robe, coat of many colors. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. They wouldn't speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. 
When he told this to his brothers, they hated him all the more and said to him, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream. Then he had another dream and he told this to his brothers. Listen, I had another dream and this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. <laughs> By the way, I, this, this actually was probably a dream. This is probably a dream from God. Probably best not to share it with your brothers. Just saying. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him. His father kept this matter in mind. He pondered it. Now his brothers had gone to graze in his father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent them off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the field and asked him, What are you looking for? He said, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing the flocks? And he said, They moved on from here. I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers. He found them near Dothan. And they saw him in the distance, but before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come on now, let's kill him, throw him into these cisterns, and say that a ferocious animal has devoured him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this because he was planning on coming back to rescue him. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, threw him basically naked into the cistern. The cistern was a water, big water. It was a well that was just full of mud right now. And they sat down to eat their meal. Sounds like an episode of Sopranos, doesn't it? Like, oh my gosh, they just toss him in this thing. You know, and then they're like, hey, we should have some lunch. <clears throat> they looked up and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming and the camels loaded with spices and balm and myrrh and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. And Joseph said, Judah said to his brothers, what gain will it be if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Not lay a hand on him. After all, he is our own brother, our own flesh and blood. So when the Midian merchants came by, his brothers pulled up to Joseph out of the cistern, sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Sounding familiar, isn't it? When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph wasn't there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then Joseph got, they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, dipped the blood in it. They took it back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see if it's your son's robe. He recognized it. He said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for many days. And all the sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn 
until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph to Potiphar for one of Potiphar's officials, the captain of the guard. And then we jump. I had just a couple of verses. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from him, put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in the robes of fine linen, pure gold, put a chain around his neck. He had like bling big time. This is where that came from, by the way. This is not a hip-hop thing. This was, there was bling way back then. He had him, yeah, Joseph was the first blinger. He had, the, he had him ride in the chariot as the second in command, and the people shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And some of you are going, wait a second, wait a second. How does he go from being thrown in a pit to being put you know, sold as a slave to suddenly he's ruling in Egypt. Aren't we missing a few steps here? Aren't we? But don't we want our life to miss those steps? Isn't it nice to like not have all those in intermediate steps? Let's just go from the beginning to this. Okay. Yeah, somebody... Now, what, what, the reason this is happening is because God knows there's a famine coming. God knows that... The whole world, the whole land is going to be starving. God knows that he has to get somebody in a place to be able to save not only the, the people of Israel and not only the promise to redeem the whole world, but God has to work to get somebody in that position to save even Egypt and all the rest of the world. How does God do that? He starts with a dream. We know I was like dreamers, especially if their dreams upset the status quo. And what Joseph's dream did, in their society, the oldest brother always, always ruled the family, always was in charge. It was a law. It was a custom. It was a everything. The oldest brother gets to rule the family. Joseph is the youngest brother until Benjamin's born. So this is flipping everything on its head. So part of the reason they're really mad is because he's speaking truth to power. But he's also being a bit arrogant about it, isn't he? So I want to ask you a couple questions. There's a lot going on here. And there's a lot that God is trying to accomplish. See, in our lives, there's a whole bunch that God is trying to accomplish. Let me just pray. Father, I just pray that you would help me to communicate this so that it really resonates with our hearts. So we're able to put ourselves in this picture and that you would speak to each of us in our situation, with our families, with our jobs, with our own lives, about where we fit, and about how you're doing this, and how you're doing this even in this world today with Putin, with all these big people, and yet you've got this small person from a, a nobody from nowhere named Joseph, that you're going to use to save the world. Come. Speak your words. Help you to do this. Amen. So how's God going to accomplish this? First of all, how's God, how does he accomplish his purpose with such a dysfunctional, messed up family? Do you ever read the story of the patriarchs? I used to, you know, when you're taught them in, in 
in you know in in Sunday school and stuff. We're taught that they're kind of heroes, aren't we? And then you start really reading them, and you're going, "Wait a second, they're not really heroes." I mean, here we've got Jacob, who idolizes and shows massive favoritism to one son. I mean, that's like rule number one of parenting of things not to do, right? I mean, he just does. He may, you know, he shows massive favorite. He makes him literally this, this gown, this kind of ruling gown, and gives it to him and has him march around it. Oh, my gosh. That's like, I mean, I was my parents' favorite son, but that's a whole different story. I brought my parents, my mom, some tomatoes once, and that was it. I was her favorite son. And then he's got, so God's got to deal with that. He's got to deal with this dad who's an idolater, who's, who's still manipulating, trying to make his will be done. you got these brothers who at this point are hateful and murderous. They want to kill him. And you've got a hero who's an arrogant, spoiled brat, or as, as Tim Keller said, is almost a sociopath. He... He doesn't really care what his words do to people. He not only tells them that one dream, but then he tells them the second one. And again, I'm not saying that the dream wasn't from God. And, I, and I've seen this over and over again with young leaders, how somebody will become a young leader and the first thing they want to do is try and rule over everybody else. And it always, always blows up. Always does. So God's got to get this done and at the same time get Joseph to this place where he can save and be the, the kind of the, the, where he can save all of humanity and be the link between his salvation and the salvation that God is going to bring. So first of all, the first thing that, that <laughs> Jacob does is he tattles on his brothers. You know, he brings them, it says he brings a bad report. And a bad report in the Hebrew, that means basically he's kind of sort of making stuff up, but he's tattling up. I remember one time when I was in high school, me and my friends did a lot of, we did a lot of drugs and stuff. One of my friends was John. He came from a pretty religious, you know, Christian household. Nobody ever did anything wrong. Well, his brother was real straight and narrow, and he found out one day that John and I used to smoke pot. And so he used to hold it over John all the time, you know. I'm going to tell Mom and Dad. I'm going to tell Mom and Dad. So one day, he asked John to do something for him, something simple, like go get my shoes. And John goes, no. And so he said, I'm going to tell Mom and Dad. John's like, whatever. So you're sitting at the kitchen table. All of a sudden, in the middle of dinner, this, his older brother's name was Jim, his older brother goes, John's smoking pot. And it was like, what? What? And the whole family just kind of tore apart, and John's get, you know, John got grounded for till he's, I think he's still grounded. I'm not sure. But anyway, that's, that's what's going on here. And, and, and not only that, there's some, some other horrendous stuff going on. Do you realize that, that we, we look at our world sometimes? I look at our world sometimes, and I think, God, 
are you are you here? Are you working here? You even look at the Christian church these days. Have you read the news? I mean, there's Christians falling everywhere. The things that we thought were great, you know, Hillsong. There's just some horrible things going on there, Mars Hill. There's even some stuff in in part of our our own association in up in Duluth. One of the young adult pastors has been accused of of sexual molestation and some other stuff. And I'm like, Lord, are, are you at work in the midst of this messed up, dysfunctional families that we have? And then in our country, with the divisions between the Republicans and the Democrats. By the way, we, you know, we did that survey about what you want to hear preaching on. You know what the number one thing was? How to become more of a divi- um, united people in a divided world. Isn't that interesting? But we look at that and we go, God, are you able to work through all of this? Are you able somehow to get all this, bring all this together? And make just... And through all of this thing, what we're seeing is we're seeing the unseen providence of God working, slowly working to accomplish everything. One of the first places we see this is when... when Jacob is, or when Joseph is sharing his dreams and his father rebukes him, but at the end of his rebuke, he says his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept this matter in mind. Doesn't it remind you of when, when the, when the um, shepherds come and the angel comes and tells them about Jesus at Jesus' birth, and they go and share it with Mary and Joseph, and it says that everybody's rejoicing and all this stuff, but it said Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. Well, Jacob's doing the same thing. He's going, hmm, maybe God's at work here. Hmm. I don't know about you, but I have some situations where it's really hard for me to see God at work. And sometimes we need to go, hmm, maybe we need to ponder some of those little touches on a story that's like, hmm, Maybe there's more than meets the eye. You know, in our lives, there's always more than meets the eye. With your family, with your job, maybe you found out you had cancer, maybe your relationships are just kind of all hairy. Maybe you're feeling like, I'm not sure that God even knows I'm here. Maybe you feel like you're on a shelf somewhere. You know, in this story, in this story, there's this one little detail that we don't pay much attention to, but God does. Joseph, Jacob sends his brother out to go find his brothers, right? He says, go out and find your brothers and make sure everything's okay. He's like, okay. So they go to Shechem. Well, his brothers had had left Shechem, which is a pretty populated area, and gone to Dothan, which isn't populated. And so Joseph goes to Shechem looking for him and suddenly there's this guy wandering around when Joseph arrived at Shechem a man found him wandering in the fields and asked him what are you looking for now where where does this guy come from you know and how does he know exactly where his brothers are isn't that weird watch out for God incidences in your life he replied I'm looking for my brothers can you tell me where they are and he said yeah they moved on from here I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. Now, really? Just some guy in the middle of a field, random guy, who happens to know where they are. Now, what's interesting about this too, is this seems like 
If let's say I hadn't told Joseph about this, Joseph wouldn't have to get thrown into the pit, wouldn't have to get sold into slavery, wouldn't have to be falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, wouldn't have to almost be killed, and then wouldn't have to become known to Pharaoh. It wouldn't have to be lifted up into a high position. It wouldn't have to be the one person who's able to understand the dream and save all of humanity. Do you get it? This one thing that seems to be the worst thing that could happen, this one linchpin moment that just seems like, oh, if that only didn't... Have you? I think there's somebody here right now today who just is thinking, oh, if that wouldn't have happened, then all this stuff wouldn't have happened. But you know what? We look at that as the negative. And God may be going, you know what? That linchpin moment is the very thing that I'm going to use in ways that you cannot even comprehend. Does that make sense? This reminds me of a Monty Python show. The guy's standing in the field. He's got a sign. Joseph. What? That way. But he's not sending him into joy and pleasure. He's sending him into potential death. So he comes to his brothers and they see him coming and they make this plot. They play, they're just, there's just wickedness going on here. God's dealing with, see what God is doing? He's not only dealing with getting Joseph into the position where he can save humanity, but he's saving Joseph and he's saving his brothers and he's saving his dad in the process. God is working in us and through us. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him, took his robe, the ornate one he was wearing, and they took him and they threw him into the cistern. And it was empty and there was no water in it. Meanwhile, the Midianites, sold, they, they sell him to the Midianites. The Midianites sold him to Potiphar. Potiphar is one of the chief, he is the chief captain of the guard for Pharaoh. See, God is at work when he seems unseen and hidden when we get that bad report, when we feel like we're just so in the pits, what do we cling to? What do we cling to? Rich Nathan was talking about this once when he was out on the camping with his family out on the coast, on the east coast, and he went out like he usually does with camping. He's got the little six-inch pegs. He's pounding them in, and he said it was blowing the tent. You know, Every time he'd pound them in, it'd blow the tent away. And finally, you know, he says, well, why don't we just all get in the tent? And his wife Marlene is, and then it'll hold it down. And his wife Marlene is like, no, I'm not going to be like, you know, she thought it was practical. I'm not going to get in this tent and have our whole family be like tumbling, <laughs> tumbling through the, through the, you know, the campground. It's just rich, you're an idiot, you know. She didn't say that. Well, maybe she did. Um, but anyway, so he goes over to somebody else, and he finds out that they have these big, stakes that they use when they tent. So he goes and buys some of those, sticks them in. And he said, 
one of the things he began to realize is that we need those deep stakes in our lives for those times that we're thrown in the pits when we don't see it. And what, is the, what are those deep stakes? And those deep stakes, he said, for him were a realization that no matter what's going on, that God is still good. God is still good and he's still working for my good. He's working all things together. He's not, it's not saying that, that God is making the bad happen, but he's saying he's using the bad to accomplish his purposes. God is like the ultimate judo. You know how judo, or I don't know if it's judo, one of the martial arts, they always use the enemy's movements against them. Do you ever see how God always does that? Satan's like, I know what I'll do. I'll crucify this Jesus. What does he end up doing? He ends up doing the very, the, 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 his worst. Satan's thinking, okay, I killed him. And God's going, oh, he fell right into my trap. I'm going to raise him up, and it's going to really suck for you. Um, but anyway, it's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> just saying. Just saying. Isn't that how God works? Isn't that how God works? Wow. So he's at work in this this place. And he's at work, and he's with Joseph, even in the circumstances when he's in Potiphar's house. It says the Lord was with Jacob, so that he prospered from the time he put him in charge of the household until um, and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of Egypt because of Joseph. God is at work in our lives and in our present circumstances. He's with us even when we're in the pit, even when we're in prison. Now, <laughs> this is like we're talking like a 20 year span from the time this begins. Joseph gets thrown in. The, we're talking a twenty-year, probably about a twenty-year period, from that time till the time Joseph is in Egypt. That's a long time, isn't it? Remember how when I first started this, I jumped from, and he went out to the field, and then he was raised up in Pharaoh's court. Isn't that how we want to do it? There are no quick ways. There's no quick and easy way in God's kingdom. There's only the redemptive, transformative way that God works. And he's working in us in the process and through us to bring about goodness into lots of people's lives. And God was with him. God was with him. And God works in spite of human injustice, and often it's darkest before the dawn. So he's in, he's in Potiphar's house, and he's being blessed, and he's being lifted up into these really high positions of leadership. And suddenly, Potiphar's one of Potiphar's wives, anyway, thinks he's really sexy, thinks he's a hunk, and basically tries to sexually assault him. Now it doesn't usually work this way. Usually it's the guy trying to sexually assault the woman, and that happens a lot. This time it happened to be the reverse. I was actually in, a, in one of the jobs I was in. There was the reverse of this where there was this woman who was trying, who tried sexually assaulting one of my friends. He didn't say anything because he was like, nobody believed me. 
lot of women don't say anything because they go, nobody will believe me. Please say something. She said, she, she tries to get him, and instead of getting him, she just grabs his clothes, so he ends up running out of there naked. It looks totally... So anyway, he gets thrown in prison. And while he's in prison, guess what? Guess who's with him in prison? God. And he does this whole thing where he interprets dreams. These two, two of Pharaoh's servants are in there, the, one of his uh, bakers and his wine tester. And they both have dreams, and, and Joseph interprets the dreams. The first dream was for the wine tester, and he says, in three days you're going to be lifted up and brought into Pharaoh's court, back into Pharaoh's court. And when you get there, remember me. Remember me. The other one is the baker's who hears this good dream and goes, Hey, what about me? And he goes, Yeah, you're gonna have your you're gonna be stuck on a pole and killed. So he's like, Oh, I shouldn't ask. Darn. But anyway, so this wine guy tester gets released, he's put in position. Two years go by. Do you think that do you think that Joseph really felt like God was there during those two years? Do you think that he really was thinking the whole time, you know what, God is good all the time, God, all the time God is good? I think there were times of despair. I think there were times of tears. I think there were times of, God, where are you? I don't get it. But you know what, there was also times where God was bringing a deep, deep humility into this man, a deep love a deep forgiveness, a deep mercy. He was making him into the man he needed to become. God's grace was transforming him all the way through this journey. Do you know what God's doing? His grace is transforming us step by step, bit by bit. God doesn't choose us because we're really fit for the job. He chooses us and then his grace comes in and he begins to transform us and make us into the kind of people we need to be. What God has been doing since the beginning of my life is making me into who I'm supposed to be. We don't start out there. I didn't start out perfect. Now I am, but then, I, now you know, I just was Just kidding. Do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get what he's doing in his brother's? Do you know, later on, the next week's guest, um, I'll talk about this. I can think I'm talking about it. We'll see how this is changing his brother's hearts, too. They begin to realize how wicked they are and how evil they are. And they begin to be changed. And his dad has to face giving up his only other son, Benjamin, and he begins to realize his own idolatry. God uses the good things, the bad things, the ugly things to shape and mold Joseph and his brothers in his image. Romans 8 puts it really well. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. For those who God loved, he foreknew, and he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he might be the firstborn of many brothers. And those he predestined, those are us. He's called us. He's chosen you. He also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And in that process, he's taking us from glory to glory 
But the path sometimes is through pits and through injustices. I've been in the pits. I've been unfairly accused of stuff over the years. A lot of injustice happened in my life. God's used a lot of hurt in my life. A lot of pain. Still even doing things now. I, I like to think, you know, when you're 60, I'm 64, you like to think, well, maybe I'm just about there. And God's like, oh, no. No, no. We have a long way to go, dude. Like, oh, really? But it's, we need to remember that there's an end to this thing because at the very end of it, we have God's unseen providence. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, remember, we, we jump back now. We're jumping back. How did we get there? I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. He gets elevated up. He finally, Pharaoh has a dream. And finally the, the, the wine guy goes, oops, I forgot. And Pharaoh has this dream and nobody can interpret it. And so he goes, can nobody interpret this thing? And finally this wine guy goes, oh, you've got to forgive me. There's this guy in prison that's been there a couple of years. And he's been there a bunch. And he can do this, and he does it. And he comes up, and anyway, he gets elevated by Pharaoh, and he ends up becoming the most powerful man next to Pharaoh in the whole universe at that time. And in that process, God uses him to store up all the grain. He sees this dream that Pharaoh has and realizes it's going to be seven years of prosperity and seven years of family. And he stores up all this food, and all the nations around come. He saves multitudes of lives. He continues on the working that God is doing to bring Jesus about into our world. And in the process, demonstrates for us kind of a little bitty picture of what Jesus is going to do for all of us. He put a ring on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes. Do you see what had happened? He got lifted up from pit to pinnacle. But when he was lifted up, he, he, he was lifted up a different man than he started out. Again, this is so much like our Savior. He was stripped. He was humble. He was brought into weakness. He voluntarily, Joseph didn't voluntarily do any of this stuff. God did it to him and through him. But Jesus became our ultimate Savior. who saved us all. And the, the way God did that was so different than the world. I'm just going to close with a quote by this guy named William Culpepper. You know, these have been these narratives have been going long and I apologize for it, but it's hard to do a narrative in a short period of time. William Cowper was a man of seeming insignificance in the world eyes and to those who knew him. He was a fearful, lethargic individual who struggled with depression until the day he died. But were it not for the intense sufferings of William Cowper, he would not have written the beautiful poetry esteeming the sovereignty of God in his life. His mother died at age six. His father sent him off to boarding school. He wasn't saved until his mid-twenties in the insane asylum of all places. Even after receiving Jesus, 
He struggled with deep depression, even tried to hurt himself many times. John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, came into his life, helped him. He functioned best as a poet and a hymnist. He could not work a job because of his frail mental state. Instead, he immersed himself in writing to handle his inner turmoil and process his feelings of despair. He was an extreme introspective individual, and he wrote this, God moves in mysterious ways. God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Yet fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. His purpose will ripen fast, upholding every hour. The bud may have bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Father, how many of us today need to hear this? About our world, that you're sovereign, that you're at work that you haven't abandoned us. We thank you for that. That your unseen providence, your power, and your sustaining grace are working in our children's lives, in our families' lives, in our lives, through the things that were so hard, through our divorce, through the deaths we've experienced, through the hopelessness we face and the age that we embrace, in the sickness that we adhere to, in the weakness that we hold on to. May your grace and your sovereign power just flow over this place today and touch your people with hope and grace. And may we see your shining face through the dark clouds. And I pray this for all of you in the name of our great Savior and Lord, who himself, was thrown into a pit and hung on a cross and died and was raised up to save all of humanity. May God do the same with you. Amen. Thank you. Sorry my voice went out. I got the plague early this week. But I'm plague-free at this point. My voice just hasn't caught up yet. Mm.